Listeners, before we jump into the show today, I wanted to let you know about a campaign we launched in November and December of this year, 2022. It's called Every Woman, Every Season. Women in Work is for every woman in every season of her life. It's our privilege to produce content that is applicable and inspiring for women from all walks of life, in all age categories, and in all stages of their work lives, from the time they are just beginning to dream about what God would lead them to do, all the way to retirement and beyond. Why do we care about every woman in every season? Simply put, because God does. The God who created galaxies and calls each star by name also formed each woman on the planet in His image. And for those who belong to Christ, He has given them an eternal kingdom-infused purpose that He planned long ago for them to walk in. Our goal at Women in Work is to see every woman in every season step forward into her next work assignment from God and fulfill all He has called them to do in that space. We pray that we've been able to serve you in this way, whether that's been through this podcast, our book club, the blog, events, devotionals, or our Work Done Well interview blog series. And if that has been the case, it would be our honor for you to partner with us as we continue to follow God's lead in serving every woman in every season. Our goal is to raise a total of $7,000 by the end of 2022. And through your generosity, we can meet that goal. Your financial partnership will help us in several key ways. First, it will help us launch our brand new initiative, the Women in Work Scholarship. What better way to help propel women forward into their calling than by assisting them financially as they further their education in the field of study that God has called them to. Our goal is to raise $2,000 specifically for this initiative. Your financial partnership will also enable us to improve the audio and video quality of the Women in Work podcast. It will help us gather with you at more in-person events. Your contribution will also help us create merchandise you'll love for both its form and function. Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, so your donations are fully tax deductible. You can give a one-time end of your donation or we'd love for you to choose to become a monthly partner. Go to womenwork.net slash donate, and you'll find that link in the show notes. As always, we're thrilled that you choose to listen to our podcast and pray that it serves you. And we'd love for you to become a sponsor of Women in Work. Thank you. Now let's jump into the show. Listeners, welcome to the show today. We have a very special guest with us. We have with us Deanne Turner. Let me tell you about Deanne. She is a 33-year veteran of Chick-fil-A, Inc. Prior to her retirement, she was vice president of talent and also vice president of sustainability for Chick-fil-A. Selected as the company's first female officer in 2001, she was instrumental in building and growing Chick-fil-A's well-known culture and talent systems, which I can't wait to learn about, DM. During her long career, she worked closely with Chick-fil-A's founder, S. Truett Cathy, and other leaders as an architect of their organizational culture. She was responsible for thousands of selections of Chick-fil-A franchisees and corporate staff members. Additionally, listen all this that she led, talent management, staff learning and development, diversity and inclusion, and culture and engagement. Prior to her retirement, she launched and led Chick-fil-A's sustainability and social responsibility function. Today, she's leading her own organization, Deanne Turner and Associates. She's writing books. She's speaking over 50 audiences a year. She's consulting. She's coaching leaders globally. And she is the author of three bestsellers. The first one is called It's My Pleasure, The Impact of Extraordinary Talent and and a Compelling Culture. Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture and Win the Hearts of Customers. And then her newest book is called Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job, and Launch Your Future. Wow. (laughs) She also hosts the Crush Your Career podcast and is the talent expert in residence at High Point University. She is a graduate of Clayton State University with a degree in management. She also completed executive education courses at Emory University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. She is a 2009 alumna of the prestigious Harvard Business School Advanced Management Program. Deanne has been married to her husband, Ashley, for 38 years, and they are the parents of three grown sons. Currently, she serves on the board of directors for Booster Enterprises and Oak Dental Group. And additionally, 
She's an advisor to several nonprofits. That is so exciting. When she is not traveling, she can often be found on her Peloton bike in her home outside of Atlanta or on her stand-up paddleboard at the Lake Hartwell in Northeast Georgia. That actually sounds very, very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, Deanne, thank you so much for coming on today. We know that our listeners are going to be blessed by this conversation. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate you two having me today. Well, one of the first things we like to do for every guest is ask the same three questions, and it's very interesting the responses we get to these. We've had some things that have really surprised us. So So, um, I'm just going to jump right in. Deanne, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a writer from the time I was eight years old. Yep. Sure did. No question about it. Did it. Yep, that was my lifelong dream. It took me all. It took me till I was into my forties to actually realize it. But yes. um, yeah, that was always my dream. Awesome. Well, what was your first job? What did you actually do first? The first thing I ever did making money was um, running my own little candy store out of, under oh, our back deck. Yeah. Our home was on the way to the uh, neighborhood swimming pool. And so I'd buy from my wholesale grocery friend, sell it at retail price and made a profit. And um, I'm just glad back then that um, they didn't have all the rules in place they do for kids today just trying to run a neighborhood lemonade stand. Right. Right. <laughs> it's so awesome. All right. So as you look toward the end of your life, what kind of work do you want to be doing when you're 80 years old? Well, I definitely still want to be writing content. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a book or that's other types of things. And then I really hope that um, my my biggest role is grandmother. That's what I'm counting mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Aww. So are you already a grandmother? Do you have grandkids? Yet? I am not. And I hope my okay. sons aren't listening to this because <laughs> they do accuse me of kind of rushing them. But I'm not. Whenever is fine, but at 80, I hope that's happening. Right. Come on, guys. Right. <laughs> surely, surely by that point. Yeah. Well, tell us more about you. Our listeners love to learn about the people we interview. Where did you grow up? And briefly, tell us how you came to faith. Sure. I grew up in the Atlanta area. I'm, a, I'm one of those rare Atlanta natives. And yes. I grew up in a Christian home with a mom, dad, and an older brother. And um, I was actually... Uh, baptized and came to faith when I was seven years old, mm-hmm. primarily through the influence of my mother mm-hmm. and um, kind of lived that life. But, you know, as a high schooler, I really came to understand better what that faith made it meant. And at age 15, I rededicated my life um, to Christ and made a decision that I wanted to go into full-time Christian service. Wow. Beautiful. Okay. I love, I can't wait to get into this because just hearing you say that makes me think, oh, that sounds like you would have stepped into like a quote ministry role. And so it's really interesting to hear your heart. We're going to have to discuss that a little bit and then to know what you actually did for the last, you know, 33 years. So let's talk about that. How did you begin working at Chick-fil-A and, you know, how did that even come about? And then when you began, did you have aspirations to be, you know, I'm going to have this long career here. This is the place I want to be for my most of what I do in life. Or, you know, what were your thoughts about that? Well, this is quite the answer and quite the story and ties in with what I just said about full-time Christian service. I met my husband uh, before I went to work for Chick-fil-A and we met in college and he was uh, studying to be a pastor. We got married. He became a pastor and um, I thought I was going to be the pastor's wife. That was my full-time Christian service that I thought I was supposed to have. Now, one little problem with that is you might be aware, but pastors don't make much money and they made even less back then. And so it was important that I work to help us pay the bills. And it was actually he who helped me find my job at Chick-fil-A. Uh, I was looking for a new job so that we can move closer to the area where we were serving in Atlanta. And, and Chick-fil-A was just down the street, the corporate headquarters. And he suggested that I might want to apply there. He had visited there and he knew it was a great place, great culture. So I did. And they turned me down. Two weeks later, I got a letter that said, we don't have anything that matches your experience, et cetera. And I said, I told him, I said, well, that's that. I applied. They turned me down. We're moving on. He said, not so fast. Why don't you apply again? So I did. And two wow. weeks later, I got another letter. Different version, but basically telling me the same thing. Well, then I was really intrigued. I was like, okay, who are these people that at 21 years old, they're turning me down twice now for a job. And so I really started pursuing them and learning about them. And my only way to communicate back then 
was through snail mail and telephone. So I called quite frequently and sent lots of letters letting them know how interested I was in working with them. Well, about six months later, my husband was sitting in the church and a lady came in. She had a flat tire and she asked him if she could use the phone to call her husband. Remember, ladies, this is before cell phones. Mm -hmm. And he said, no need to do that. I'll change the tire for you. So he changed the tire. And after he did, she gave him a coupon for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. And he said, oh, do you work at Chick-fil-A? And she said, well, I do, but I've resigned uh, because my husband's been relocated. Now, I didn't tell you this, but I was working in an advertising firm because I was a journalism major, and that led me into advertising. So I was looking for a job in advertising. So he says to her, what what department do you work in? She said, advertising. So he ushered her out of the church. He called me, and he said, they have a job in advertising. I picked up the phone and called Chick-fil-A and said, I understand you have a job in advertising, and I'd like to apply for it. I always tell people that my husband changed my life uh, when he changed a tire. So that was the beginning of the story. I went through a long interviewing process. My last and final interview visit, the vice president of human resources says, they're going to offer you this job in advertising, but I have a role in HR that I think you might fit. Would you be interested? So I thought about it over the weekend and I said, you know what? I like those people in HR and I um, am intrigued. I I thought I was change hardy and like change at the time. And I said, you know, I'm going to go do this a couple of years and then I'll go back to marketing. Well, that never really happened. I ended up spending a 30-year career in HR at Chick-fil-A. But you asked me another question that I want to comment on because um, it's like, well, what happened to that full-time ministry thing? Well, I actually struggled with that whole concept because it became apparent that I was on track to have this career and always thought I was going to be the preacher's wife and stay home with the kids, and um, I, wow. which was a wonderful future, and there was nothing right. wrong with that. Right. But I, um, but it looked like I was headed towards something else, and I was really struggling. And then, then finally, I just had this epiphany, and it was certainly God-breathed, which is my path was to help other people find their path. And from that moment on, I considered that my ministry. Wow. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, you're talking to a pastor's wife. I am a pastor's wife (laughs) and Missy's husband's in ministry as well. So we know, we know that feeling. A lot of our listeners are in that same dilemma of feeling like I really want to serve the Lord with my life and how, if I'm not called to stay home or if I'm not called to do, you know, work on a church staff, how can my quote, non-ministry job, glorify God. And so um, I love your story. It's very encouraging. Well, that was just the beginning. So we have a lot to talk about, about how <laughs> yes, that fits in. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing that we all know, everybody knows Chick-fil-A for their, my pleasure, for their speedy service and for just how kind all their employees are supposed to be. And my children, two of them have worked at a Chick-fil-A and the Wonderful. next two probably will. Um, but you had a lot, you had a hand in building that culture of care. How did Chick-fil-A come to be known for this? And what was the role that you played in helped creating that culture? Well, first of all, it all started with Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Truett was a Christian and he made a decision pretty early on that he wanted to run his business based on biblical principles. He always mm-hmm. said that he didn't see any conflict between good business principles and biblical principles. Wow. And so that's how, when he started his very first restaurant in 1946, is really where the culture of Chick-fil-A started, because it was how he treated people, both his employees and his customers. And over the years, as the organization grew, he was a very hands-on leader, and he developed and mentored people and brought them along in what he created long before we ever wrote it down on paper. It just existed through his role model and example and the way he replicated himself in the next generation of leaders at Chick-fil-A. And that was really the genesis of how it all began. Wow. Wow. All right. So as our listeners, those of our listeners who are perhaps themselves business owners or they lead their own team, what are some first steps that they can begin to take to grow their own culture of care? Like, where do they start? How should they even begin to think about this? Because it's a really important thing. Yeah. And, you know, what I find is people really don't understand how to even define culture in their organization. Mm. And so to me, culture is the soul of the organization. Mm. Now, think about this for a moment. If our soul is the core of who we are and then 
the soul of the organization's culture. That's the core of the organization. So that has to be right. I mean, if our soul's not right, we're not right, right? Well, right. same thing for an organization. Right. And so it's it's not about all these activities that people think about. I think it's really based on three elements. And this is what we did at Chick-fil-A. You asked me my role. This was part of what I helped architect there. And it's and I, I actually, the first part I was not part of because I wasn't at the company yet, but the first part is to have a meaningful purpose, mm-hmm. a why that your business exists at all. And um, Chick-fil-A actually, Truett didn't write that down in 1946 when he opened his first restaurant. He went all the way to 1982, had a slump in sales for the first time in the history of Chick-fil-A. And so his executive committee spent some time answering that question, why? And after a few days, they came back with this. That Chick-fil-A's purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us to be a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And they took that purpose to the home office staff, um, and they liked it so much that they carved it in bronze, stuck it, stuck it on a granite slab and put it in front of the building so that everybody who came there, the people who came to work there every day, the franchisees, their team members, the customers, everyone would know why Chick-fil-A was in business and what their big why was. Well, does it make much sense to have a big why if it doesn't have any results? So the interesting thing about Chick-fil-A, here we are as we record this at the end of 2022. Since 1982, Chick-fil-A has never had another slump in sales. They became debt-free in 2012, and they enjoy a 95% retention rate of their corporate staff all these years and a 95% retention rate of their franchisees over all this time. And so knowing your why is the first step. And you know, it's your why generally never changes. Once you decide what it is, it is your purpose. Now, the second element is a challenging mission. And your mission is the big goal you're rallying everybody around. You know, one of the examples I give is is simply when NASA, when President Kennedy challenged NASA in the U.S. to put a man on the moon and bring him back safely to Earth before the end of the decade. He did that in 1961. That's an example of a challenging mission. Most of us in our roles aren't going to have those kind of missions, but something that's a smart goal, something that you can measure, something that's time bound, something that's achievable. Now, while the purpose doesn't usually change, a mission will change. A mission changes when you accomplish it. So when the mission's accomplished, you start a new mission for your organization. Your extraordinary talent needs something to rally around and they'll rally around the challenging mission. And then the third element, it's really important demonstrated core values. Purpose answers the why question, mission answers the what question, and values answer the how question. What are the behaviors that we're going to have that are going to demonstrate our purpose and mission? And and by the way, I call them demonstrated core values because they have to start at the top. Because if your very senior leadership doesn't demonstrate those values, they won't integrate into the organization. So for me, what I just described that's 80 to 90% of your culture. And you focus on that, you repeat that, you communicate it constantly. It's a filter for every decision you make in your organization. Then all the other behaviors, they grow out of that. But this is the crux of what a remarkable culture is, is one that has these three elements and they're being lived out top to bottom, bottom to top of the organization. Wow. Good. I was definitely taking notes right there. Me too. (laughs) So, well, in terms of the customer experience, because this is beautiful because you you gave us perspective on what it means for an employee. So for the customer experience, how do you hope that they are served by this culture of care? And what are the goals for the for the customers once you've impacted the employees? So in any organization, what you want to do is be able to envelop your guest into your culture. So whether it's in, you know, you're serving a church, you want to, you know, you have a, a culture that you want to in, envelop the membership into. If you're running a business like I am, you want your clients, your customers to be part of that. And the way that you do it, again, you're you're living that out. You're demonstrating that in your service. I think of a story. I just, there's so many examples. Chick-fil-A franchisees are the heroes of doing this well. I mean, I could, I could sit here and tell you stories from now until New Year's probably, um, about this, but 
Um, I think of one just recently that I read, a Chick-fil-A franchisee, Matthew Sexton in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, happens to be the number one drive-thru in Chick-fil-A too. A customer who represents and helps deployed service members called and asked for something. She said, the one of the things that our deployed staff members really want is those Chick-fil-A sauce packets. Now, if you're a fan of Chick-fil-A sauce, you know that it's (laughs) craveable. And they love that. And they said, can we just buy some packets to send? And he said, it'll be my pleasure to donate a case, which is like 420 packets. Um, And so she went and picked up the packets from Matt. And uh, when she did, he gave her a drink. He walked the order. He walked it out, put it in her car. And then he let her know that he and his team had prayed over those packets of Chick-fil-A sauce for the soldiers that would receive them. And uh, that's how you envelop somebody. When you have a purpose to glorify God uh, by being a faithful steward of all the resources, even Chick-fil-A packets, right? And to be a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A, like that woman. And at Chick-fil-A, they have a challenging mission of being remarkable um, in their service, products, and experience. And then you have core values, like we're here to serve, we're better together, we're purpose-driven, and we pursue what's next like Chick-fil-A does. And you live that out with your customers. You you get them telling these stories. In fact, that's how I know about the story. Matt didn't tell me this story. The customer did. So that you get them telling stories about your organization, about your great culture. Hmm. It really is care, too. I mean, you feel, when you're at Chick-fil-A, you really feel taken care of. You feel cared for. This is... When I'm driving through that drive through it's just a completely different experience than McDonald's, you know, for example. Um, so that's great. Okay, so before you retired, you were, like we mentioned, the vice president of talent and the vice president of sustainability. I really want to talk about that first part, the talent aspect. Um, now, I've heard you say before that you never hire just people, but instead you select talent. What do you mean by that? Why is talent so important? Well, think about it. When I when I talk about um, hiring people, to me, that's just like putting a warm body in mm. versus selecting talent. Sure. I'm finding the right person for every role. So I tell people all the time, don't hire people ever again. Instead, select talent um, because they're not warm bodies. They're people who are specifically selected for a specific role, and they have the skills, abilities, experiences, they have the character, competency, and chemistry that matches what you're looking for. And so that's what I mean by that. Well, how can business leaders or businesses um, find good talent and attract them to their company? How And then once they attract them, how can they keep them? You know, work today is hard. Hiring people, finding jobs, all of that has been difficult these days. Yeah, you, it sure yeah. has. It's been one of the most difficult seasons I've ever seen in my career yeah. for finding talent and keeping talent. Yes. But there, there, I've learned something about uh, what people are looking for today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's changed that much over time uh, when I look back over my career and what people have always looked for. But I think this is particularly important now. They're looking for three things in a job. Mm-hmm. They're looking for, one, a remarkable culture. We've already talked about what mm-hmm. that looks like. The second thing they're looking for is to be a part of something bigger than themselves, an opportunity to impact big things in a big way. And so I think of people in ministries, like, could you have a higher purpose that people want to be a part of? But are you are you really communicating in a way that they're attracted to it? And then this third thing is is really important, and that's they're looking for leaders who will invest in their development. Mm -hmm. One of the problems with this anticipation of a a short time period that somebody might be working for you is that people are investing less in their talent because they think they're going to move on. Well, they surely will if you don't invest in them. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So instead, you know, look at that opportunity to invest in that person back to, you know, being a steward of the resource. It's like, well, for as long as I have them, they're going to be the best resource because resource is not being a steward of resources is not just about your treasure. It's about your time and talent, too. Yes. So you want to invest in that talent. And those are the three things they're looking for is this this, uh, you know, culture, higher purpose and then somebody, a leader to invest in their development. And the problem is, is I think that organizations think they have to do about 50 things to attract and keep talent. And if they just did these three things really, really well, it takes care of 80% of their problem. I'm not saying it's not still going to be tough 
Right. But focusing on these things will make it a lot easier, but you have to do it consistently over time. Mm -hmm. It's not a fix for tomorrow. If you're, if you're 10 people short on your shift tomorrow, that's not going to fix it. But working on it over time, because I'll tell you something, we'll eventually get out of this cycle. I don't know when, but we will. And, but I, but I've seen it three times in my career. So that tells me it's going to happen again, right? And so if you're one of those people that's in that situation right now, you don't have enough people, you can't keep people, you can't solve that problem overnight. But what you can do, and I've heard people tell me this, like, I can't do this right now. But Deanne, after hearing this, I'm going to make sure I'm never in this situation again, because I'm going to work on these things so that I'm already in the process of recruiting for the next down cycle in talent. The other side of the coin that we mentioned with your um, title there was that you were the VP of sustainability. So can you give your listeners just a brief explanation of what sustainability means in business? <laughs> well, me, it, it depends on the business, to be honest with okay. you. Um, that title gets used okay. for a lot of different things. When I started in that role, it was it was supposed to encapsulate a lot more and even some um, some of the people issues that I had managed in people. My real role was that um, I like to build things. And uh, in fact, when I started at Chick-fil-A in 1985, I was the singular person in what we call back then staff selection. I saw a picture on social media not long ago of that group that was on an outing, and there were maybe 30 of them in the picture. So that was just the staff selection, the talent selection part of of HR. Um, But anyway, I... Um, moved to sustainability, which was, was originally called, um, enterprise social responsibility and was going to work on a, a number of areas. But what eventually ended up being really was about environmental sustainability. And I was in that role for three years before I retired. And basically I retired because I had a moment. Um, well, first of all, I had the opportunity along with about a hundred of my co- colleagues to take an early retirement option and uh, I had a contract for two books sitting on, which became Bet on Talent and Crush Your Career, sitting on my desk. And I knew I couldn't continue as an officer and leader at Chick-fil-A and do this. And it was my opportunity to fulfill that dream when I was eight years yeah. old. But in the role, the other thing was, is that while I was working on some really important things, um, and, you know, one of the things was how to divert um, food waste from the restaurants, edible food waste. And we started a program which... I think now Chick-fil-A, I forgot the last number, but millions of meals have been provided um, from edible food waste because of a program we started at that time. And so those are really important things to do. But God made me to help organizations uh, create their culture, strengthen their culture, find talent, grow that talent. And I wasn't doing that. And so I saw that I had this opportunity um, to retire and to start my own business and to finish these books and continue speaking. Um, but s- sustainability for my role was really about environmental sustainability, reducing packaging waste, food waste, water waste, and all other resources. How interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so you have, were selected as the company's first female officer in 2001. Is that correct? First female That's right. Officer? Yeah. yeah. What has it been like for you as a woman to work in these male-dominated settings? Even though they're Christian, they're still male-dominated. Was this ever intimidating for you? And what should our listeners know about having to navigate the gender dynamic, especially today, to succeed like you have? Well, let me let me do say one thing, um, because Chick-fil-A is a business that's based on biblical principles, mm-hmm. and that's how Truett founded it. But, you know, it's a business. And so everyone who works there is not a Christian. True, right. um, it attracted a lot of Christians, but you, you wouldn't, um, you know, make that assumption because you, you couldn't have a business. Uh, you couldn't run, right. you couldn't legally do that. So that's the HR person in me that says, Hey, <laughs> let me correct this for you. Um, but, but beyond that, um, you know, I think I had a really, I did have a unique, um, position. I was surrounded by when I was in that situation, the fact that I was the only female, I was surrounded by a lot of men with really high character because that was a requirement at Chick-fil-A. Um, those were the kinds of people we selected. Now, none of us were perfect, male or female, um, but high character that most of the time, as far as I could tell, you know, we're really trying to do the right thing. And so I, I started at that place of saying, you know, they're really trying to do the right thing. Sometimes they just did it in the wrong way. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to help educate them. My biggest role uh, probably at the time was to help them better understand the capabilities that were around them and a lot of other women who were smarter and better than I was so that there would be a path for them. Yes, and correct. so one of the number one things I had to do, and I'm not, and I'm about to say something, I'm not sure how popular this is with a younger generation of women. They should probably email me and tell me whether I, I should keep saying this or not. But one of the first things I had to do was choose not to be offended. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. I'm not talking about harassment or things that right. are wrong. I'm not talking about that at all. You should always stand up for that. Um, I'm talking about just little offenses of where people don't have a good understanding. They haven't been educated. So I'll give you an example. Yes. Um, we would sit around the table. We would be having a discussion and break time would come and all the men would go to the men's restroom and I'd go to the ladies restroom. Well, you know what would happen? the conversation would continue in the restroom with the men. I'd have no clue what was going on. And then we'd come back to a meeting and a decision had been made because their conversation had continued. And this happened a lot. (laughs) So I um, finally, I I brought it up and I said, hey, do you recognize this happens? And the truth is they hadn't thought about it. So we then we had a norm that when we took a break, the conversation ended. And it was a simple thing of educating and, and bringing those things up. I like how you, you kind of mentioned you started with a presumption that these were men you worked with that were going to do the right thing. You gave them the benefit of the doubt, I mean, you know, right, yeah. um, which I think is really important for our listeners to go into a situation believing the best, you know, and then to not be offended by these small things is, is I mean, that's the Christian life, to, to live with a, an essence of extending grace. And so that's great. Exactly. And, you know, that's a principle. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's about men and women or anybody. It's like anybody we work with. I'll tell you that it will help your career if you do start by thinking, you know, expecting the best, thinking the best. You know, let people prove that wrong, but don't start by expecting the worst. And um, that's in any relationship, not just the, you know, the male-female dynamic. That's true. That's great. So as we mentioned, your latest book is called Crush Your Career ace the interview, land the job, and launch your future. You have no doubt hired a lot of people in your career. And so for those that you've been involved with personally um, who got the job, what was it that stood out to you about their resumes and even just how they carried themselves in their interviews? So, yes, I selected a lot of talent, Courtney. I didn't hire any people, but I did. Sorry, sorry. I'm not just joking with you. It's fun. When I think about people who stand out, number one, the biggest thing that always stood out to me is people willing to serve. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't care what business you're in. That's important. Uh, I'll give an example. Our son was in the hospital recently, and he was really, really seriously ill. And one day they needed to take him down for a CT scan. And uh, he was in the ICU. So, again, this is pretty critical. And he had these two wonderful serving nurses. Um, but he was connected to life support systems. He had an IV pole that had more things on it than I've ever seen before. Um, he's not a small guy. He's six six, and he's in a hospital bed. And they couldn't carry all that on their own. And so they asked some residents to help them. One of them jumped right in. It took 45 minutes for them to decide who was going to take him down to the CT scan because one of the other residents felt like it was below his pay grade. He asked the question, is this really how we use the resources of a physician? And um, it's funny because it popped in my head. It's like, okay, this is a culture where people are not here to serve, and that's really concerning in the medical environment. Well, I have to tell you the rest of the story. Those poor little nurses who had just taken such wonderful care of our son, they couldn't say anything to the doctors. But as they're going down to the CT, my son is watching while the one doctor has a, a finger on the bed practically, and he's looking at his phone, and my son speaks up, and he says, oh, I see how it is. He said, these poor little ladies can't push me. They really need your help. Are you going to join in? Wow. <laughs> so, he he, he yeah. really uh, he called him out on that here to serve, but that I look for that in the the talent that I select is is that they really have a servant's heart because that makes all the difference. Right. Um, and then the other thing I look for is humble confidence, and that is a really mm-hmm. hard balance to achieve to be able to 
show confidence, but at the same time to have humility about your abilities and to um, recognize that, you know, no person does anything all on their own, but it's mm-hmm. it's uh, through teamwork and other people that have helped raise them up to be where they are. Um, those are probably, you know, when I look at, at character values and things like that, those are the two things that I look for most deeply. That's really good. I have a question that's kind of the opposite. When you hire, I know you don't hire people that you select talent, but what do you do when the talent you've selected may not be the right talent for the position? Have you had to reassign some talent? Sure. (laughs) Well, let me say something about all that, at least in my experience at Chick-fil-A. We did something very different that I have not to this day. Now I've had hundreds of clients since I left Chick-fil-A. I've never seen anybody do this um, the way we did it. But Truett believed in making the right decision to begin with. So we had a big budget for selection. We spent a lot of time and a lot of money selecting talent. And the reason that is because we didn't have a very big budget for termination. It was expected that we would make the right decision from the beginning. So most organizations do just the opposite. Mm. They select fast and hire fast. We select slow and for that reason would fire slow. And, um, but other organizations, they'll bring people on expecting they'll just make a change if it doesn't work out. Well, that's really expensive. It's not just expensive to your bottom line budget. It's expensive to your culture to have right. that kind of turnover. Yeah. So we didn't do it that way. So when somebody, if we made the wrong decision, so first of all, it didn't happen very often because we were so careful with our selection. But when it did happen, if it was a, a an ability issue versus a willingness issue, now willingness is a character issue, and that's totally different. If you got somebody who's not willing, yeah. you're not going to be able to keep them because they're not going to fit into anything. But somebody who's willing but doesn't have the ability, we invested more in them because it was it was actually cheaper to invest in the talent we had than to go and recruit and train new talent. And so we really tried, we felt like we had made a commitment to that person. We chose them. They chose us. So the first thing we would try to do is make them successful in the job they had. Did they have the right coach? Did they have, did, did they understand the expectations? Did they um, have all the training that they needed? So we made sure they had all of those things. If it turned out it wasn't the right role, well, is there another role? Are they just simply miscast? Is it the wrong matchup between a manager? And a team member? Do they just need a different manager? Do they need a different opportunity? And so we always tried all of those things. And in the end, if that still didn't work and someone had been willing and cooperative, then we would do our very best to redirect them to their next opportunity outside of the organization, giving them assistance to do that. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, okay. So that's an incredible pointer. What other kind of pointers or tips should our women put into practice for their own resume and interview prep and um, landing that job because I know on one hand it it is a it is wise for you to invest in people so that you don't have to miscast them but we need to come into a space and not just apply for any random job if it really isn't a space that is right. actually a fit for you so what are the yeah. things that they can do women can do to crush it make themselves invaluable but also make sure that they're going into the right thing yeah I try to coach my clients to just um, I, I talk about that I select for character that matches the culture of the organization, mm-hmm. competency that matches the role, and chemistry that matches the team. And so mm-hmm. when I coach with my clients, I ask them to flip the script and to be sure that when they're interviewing with an organization, that the organization's culture matches their character. And wow. so that they really delve into that and, you know, not just what's on the website, but they're actually asking questions when they're in interviews of other people in the organization, not just the people who are the decision makers, but, you know, who they have lunch with, who they get coffee with. Ask mm-hmm. them the question, how does the organization live out the purpose? You know, how many times have they achieved their mission while you've worked here? Um, how do they celebrate achievement of mission? Do the leader, does the leadership in the organization live out the core values? Give me some examples of how they've done that. So you're flipping the script. Wow. And then, then secondly, competency and, you know, understanding is like, um, what does success like look like in this role? How will I know that I've been successful? 
and then chemistry, you know, learning about the team you're going to be a part of. And sometimes the only way to do that is to invest time and to say, I want to have lunch with the team or I want to, you know, really spend some time getting to know the team that I'll work with. And an organization that's worth their salt will give you those opportunities. Um, if you're willing, certainly if the candidate's willing to take the time to do that, they should be willing. So that's what I encourage um, people to do in terms of making sure they make the right decision. That's great. That's great. And then let's say once they have stepped into that role, are those first 90 days are really crucial. Are there any, you know, what should our listeners know about how to really succeed and become a team member who is a standout and who becomes invaluable to the organization? I think there are three really important things to do in the first 30 days. First of all, is that you've got to learn even more about the culture of the organization. You want to know about it before you go in, but then it's a little bit different when you get there. When you get there, you need to understand how decisions are made, how things get done, who the influencers are in the organization. Um, that will help you be successful. Now, the way you're going to learn the things I just said is, is the second thing, which is to build relationships. You know, start by having coffee or um, some kind of connection. I know sometimes we're remote now and this isn't right. always in person, but, um, you know, one of my sons works remotely uh, with another office and they have coffee chats on Zoom. And mm -hmm. um, so start with your team. Be sure you spend time with every one of them, getting to know them, understand what their contribution is, understand how you can help them. And then expand from there. Who are the key recipients of my work? Who are the internal customers, if you will? Start spending time with them. And then ask your supervisor beyond that, who are the other influencers in the business that I should spend time with that'll help me be more successful? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, that's a three-tier approach to that. And then the last thing, the third thing in the first 90 days is you have to clearly understand the expectations of your role. So the very first week, and, and certainly every month up until about 90 days. So you should have at least three meetings just on expectations, just being sure they're crystal clear. You cannot be successful if you don't understand what the goals are and what you're supposed to accomplish. So right from the get-go, hopefully you have some idea of that in the interviewing process, but that first week on the job, sitting down with your supervisor and saying, okay, I need to clearly understand the what, the how, and hopefully they'll give you the why too, because that helps with the concept um, of what you want me to do. And then, you know, go back a month later. This is what I understand the expectations. Has anything changed? How am I doing at meeting those expectations 30 days in, 60 days in, and 90 days in? It might drive your supervisor a little crazy, um, <laughs> but it's but they should be expecting it, especially out of our millennial and Gen Z generation, that that's what they want. <laughs> um, I will tell you that shouldn't continue every month for the length of your career. Right. I'm suggesting the first 90 days that you're having this regular contact, and then you should become more and more independent and needing a little bit less feedback than that as you move along. I think that's so interesting because, I mean, your answer really encapsulates um, going in, like you mentioned a minute ago, with humility and being a learner, learning. Yeah. And it's less, I really thought you were going to say something about producing some excellent content or some, you know, that first assignment, really crushing that task with complete excellence, but it had less to do with producing and more to do with being a learner so that you can produce in a way that's actually meaningful to that organization and that environment. So I think that's an excellent answer. Thank you for that. Well, the faster you can do those three things that I just mentioned, the faster you'll get to that first you know, small wins that you talk about that you mm -hmm. want to get under your belt. But there's no way you can get the right small win if you if you don't, if you're not making progress in the three areas that I just yeah, talked about. That's great. Courtney, it's interesting what you said, because it almost sounds like I go in there, like you said, with humility and I'm asking for discipleship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm asking you to mentor me, to guide me so that I'm not just, though I got hired and I'm supposed to feel like I'm capable of doing this. I still can come in and say, yes, I can do a job. I can do work, but I want to do excellent work and I want to do the work you want me to do. So how can I learn to do that? I think that's brilliant. Exactly. I mean, in our roles, we're there to make somebody more successful, whether it's right. the organization or you know, specific leadership or the team we're a part of. We're there to help them be more successful. So we have to have a partnership. And again, in the interview process, 
you want to have a sense that that is going to be, your leader is going to be willing to do that with you because if they're not, there's no way you can be successful. So that's a job you shouldn't take. So you mentioned that Truett Cathy founded the organization on biblical principles and um, you yourself really viewed this job um, out of a heart of ministry and a heart to serve. And so I just wondered if there was any more clarifying comments you wanted to make about really your heart and how you really view your work through that Christian lens. Well, you know, for me, um, in the way that I I approached it is I made a lot of people decisions, thousands of people decisions uh, when mm-hmm. I was at Chick-fil-A. And I felt like they were really important. They were important to the organization to be successful. Sometimes though, they were even more important to the individual. It was life-changing. Wow. You know, for somebody to become a Chick-fil-A franchisee, um, you know, one of my candidates had worked for 10 years as a team member to become, wow. you know, a franchisee. These were life-changing decisions. Wow. And now when I look back on it now, because I have the benefit some 35 years later of looking back on it all, um, no, not 35, almost 38, almost 40 years later, um, because I still have relationships with many of these franchisees, mm-hmm. I see it, they were life-changing. I mean, they're still around decades later. Hmm. Yeah. And so to make those decisions, um, you know, for me, it was always a matter of prayer. Wow. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can't say none of us 100% of the time seek God's wisdom in every decision we make, but I tried. I really did. And um, to be guided by that, and hopefully because of that, I made a lot of great decisions. Excellent. I mean, it looks like it, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is just so beautiful. That is a beautifully humble yet powerful thing to say that in the thousands of people decisions I've made, prayer was my the biggest part of the formula. I think that's just so beautiful. Okay. I have a question I'm sure is burning on all of our listeners. <laughs> when you pull into a drive through at Chick-fil-A, what is your favorite thing to order? <laughs> I'm such a traditionalist. I have to tell you, number one with a sweet tea. Now, I don't eat that very often um, because um, that's not the best thing for me to choose. Mm -hmm. Um, A grilled chicken sandwich or salad is a better choice for me and probably more what I eat now. (laughs) But like if I really want some good comfort food, uh, because I have to admit Chick-fil-A is the only quick service that our family, or at least I eat. I don't know about the rest of them, but when they were living with me, they ate Chick-fil-A. Yes, uh, yes. It's the only, it's the only quick service that I eat. So um, to pull in there and uh, every once in a while for comfort for a Chick-fil-A sandwich is pretty good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. great. Well, as we wrap this up, we'd love to know if there's just any other, you know, one piece of advice lingering in your mind that you feel like women who perhaps, I don't know what calling they're in, God has called them to some work, Um, no matter what that is, what would you like them to know about how they can honor God through their vocation? Mm -hmm. So for me, and I didn't learn this from the very beginning, and again, of course I didn't do it perfectly. I'm a human being. But for me, I discovered along the way this little obscure verse in Hebrews that says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Mm. Now, a lot of people know the rest of that verse is so that no bitter root grows up between you. But I hung to that, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. So for me, number one, that was my staff members. That verse really changed my heart. It's like, you know what, they're my highest priority. Hmm. And, you know, prior to understanding that, and I know a lot of people who do this today, I I coach people and their bosses do that. And I say, tell them to stop doing this because I stopped doing it and they need to stop doing it, which was your team member starts coming last. It's like, well, the customer needed this or somebody else needed this, or I had to go to this meeting and I was constantly changing my times or being late to my time with the person who reported to me. Mm. That's not the way to treat them. Mm. And when I came across see to it, that no one misses the grace of God, Mm. the customer, no one misses the grace of God. What's their story today? We don't know their story. They may have just had the worst day of their life or the best day of their life, but see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And um, that served me well in my career. It still serves me today. Again, do I blow it all the time? Um, but 
that's what's in my heart to try to do. And I think if, you know, we're consistent enough, then we can have impact uh, that matches our intent. Excellent. Yeah. I'll take that piece of advice. (laughs) Well, I can't wait for our listeners to get your latest book and also to um, listen to your podcast. You have a podcast, Crush Your Career. Yeah, they can find that on my website. Um, I'm not currently uh, doing new episodes of that, but great information from some real experts um, on if you're interviewing for a job, um, all kinds of uh, angles on that. Some great people. Carrie Newhoff is on there with me, yeah. um, among others. Um, Christina Ellis uh, talks about finances and how to get yourself debt free at a young age. So lots of good things there. That sounds excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on. I know I have learned a lot. I've taken notes right here as you yes. were speaking. Yeah. So I know our listeners will be blessed as well. Well, it's been my pleasure. And uh, Courtney and Missy, if they'd like to connect with me, I love being connected to your listeners. Um, They can find me at deanturner.com on my website and uh, also find me on all the social media uh, channels at deanturner. And then, um, uh, gee, I guess those those are the places, but I'd love to love to hear from them there. Sure. Well, we'll make sure we link to all of that in the show notes. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank Thank you again, Dean. My pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, we'd be honored for you to partner with us financially. If this podcast or really any of the content Women in Work produces has been a source of inspiration and encouragement to you. Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all your donations are fully tax deductible. And please take a minute to subscribe to our show and also give us a rating and review so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time, friends.